And welcome to episode 19 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound Players with a Head for the Game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Arthas and Sabaiku. Sabaiku, how is it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? As always, I'm doing great. <laughs> well, we are the Brood Sages. And as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages at Twitter. Or for all of you who know what a leg warmer is, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. So guys, this week, uh, we just got gifted a huge, huge swath of upcoming change notes uh, from Sheepyard for the uh, February 1st change. And, and uh, a quick apology to all of our listeners. We did not put anything out this past week because we didn't really think we had anything relevant. But boy, do we have relevance now. Uh, uh, Sabaiku, give me give me uh, the first uh, piece of the patch notes here. So the first part of the patch notes is about quality of life change. Mm. We love these little things that make the game more fun to play, give you a little more ownership, uh, and and just make it more polished. The first thing is a brand new feature with this release, player profiles. You can select a portrait. You can select a preferred faction. It'll make your friends list just a little more colorful, a little more interesting. There's going to be more of this coming. They made it very clear on Discord. Um, Shoujo was talking about more profiles being released in the future, maybe tied to deals in the shop, maybe tied to uh, rewards for contests. So uh, it's going to be just a nice little layer of cosmetics on the top of the game. Yeah, they gave us a a, a, a a sample menu with a bunch of in-game character picks as our new profile picks. Arthas, which one are you planning on going with and why is it Edric? <laughs> Literally, Edric is in all of my decks right now. It's freaking amazing. <laughs> all 10 of them. <laughs> that must... Wait, can you have 10? I thought you could only have nine. Can I not count? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, for people who don't already know, I'm uh, I got a little bit of a privilege. Um, I actually have ten decks, ten usable decks in the game. Uh, no, you can't get it because I told Brazosa how it's done. But as a deal, I keep my tenth deck, so that's awesome. <laughs> you actually have ten decks? Yes. Uh, I I found a glitch on how to get the ten. I could actually get eleven. But 11 is not symmetrical in Steam. 10 is. So we're going with that. <laughs> I could have more, but it's perfectly balanced as all things should be. <laughs> I have two for each faction and then four for Shadowfin. <laughs> it doesn't seem right. It seems like you should have six for Shadowfin. Yeah, exactly. And then four for everything else. <laughs> But anyway, not I don't want to like exclude people. It's not really that big of a deal. I know there are going to be deck lists coming out eventually, right? Like ex more deck slots and stuff. So wait till that happens, I guess. So my, my personal uh, biggest uh, uh, excitement when I started reading through the patch notes had to be Discounted Brawl yet again. Starting February 11th, guys, I love every time they do this. I really enjoy the brawl. Uh, and gosh, I, I I just I enjoy the brawl more than twice as much when they cut the price by half. Arthas, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you really don't want to be missing out on cheaper brawls. I know, like, <laughs> I remember, what was it? I think it was a structure brawl. I absolutely hated that brawl, okay? Like, I abhorred it. But it was the freaking discounted brawl. I just can't pass it up. So I, I, I struggled through. It was worth it. 
<laughs> and and Sirico, this is the only time that that at least I pushed to the mythic. How about you? Historically, that is true. Um, I also did not push on the structure brawl. My levels on the structures and on Mia specifically make uh, uh, going deep into that brawl a little dicey. Uh, mm. This was actually literally the first time I've done that brawl while having Mia in my collection. So oh, that's right. A learning experience for me, actually, Ooh. as it was. But I, I have not checked ahead on the schedule to see what we will be getting for a discount brawl on the 11th. I'll keep it uh, as a little surprise to myself. There you go. All right. So we also have some updated, uh, uh, some new uh, upcoming shop offers, which is kind of to be expected. Those seem to come with every single promotion that they uh, uh, put out, which is great. Um, so, Baiko, you normally run the numbers on all this stuff. So walk us through the shop offers. Yeah. First and foremost, the daily check-in for February is still a $5 pass to buy the premium content. Uh, you get great value for your money. February being a month that is shorter than January by three days, you do lose one day of gold, one day of rubies, and one day of fusion stones. Mm. Uh, it, it stinks to get a little less for your five dollars but it's still a great value and uh if you're going to spend on the game that's definitely what i would recommend as your first priority there's also a ten dollar pack which is copies of the new card temple of heart which we'll be looking at in a little bit you get a bunch of copies you get a little gold you get a little rubies there's a $30 pack where you get each of the four faction-specific tomes that are normally $10 each, um, $40 worth of value for $30. Um, I'm not usually a proponent of buying those faction-specific tomes at $10 each. I think they're not really a great value, even though one of them is guaranteed to be a legendary. Um, but you can weigh whether or not it's worth it for buy three, get one free, essentially. Uh, and then a $60 pack with 100 cards, 1,500 gold, and 250 rubies. The cards here are obviously the big draw. You have a distribution in that lovely bundle, 45% chance of common, 30% rare, 15% epic, 10% legendary. So you get a good chance of pulling out some decent stuff. I believe this is also for neutral cards only, you know, unlike the uh, faction-specific offer. So this one's for people who want to play Winter. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so so, but the drop rate of of ten percent legendaries that seems pretty high. Is there anything aside from the mythic packs that give you anything close to a ten percent drop rate on legendaries? The mythics give you thirty percent, seventy percent epic, thirty percent legendary. Right. And the heroic tome gives you a 5% legendary. Right. So this is twice as good as that. Like, that's that's not nothing. No. What this is, is a way to round out your collection if you want to get, if you feel like you're missing a lot of cards. The bulk of it is expected to be commons and rares if you really want to fill out your collection with the lower rarity cards. Uh, the fact that 25% of the distribution is expected to be epics or legendaries is really just a bonus. Uh, you know, focus on the fact that three quarters of what you get is, is going to be to boost up all of those little things that you're like, oh, I need five more copies of Gifted Recruits. I need two more copies of Dark Harvest, that kind of that kind of stuff. 
All right. So Arthas, we also had some balance changes and I know you're actually pretty excited about this first one because I saw some comments in Discord this morning. I have to say, I'm actually really excited too because I think this change to Temple Guardians really makes it an enticing play. Walk us through it. So Temple Guardians, the ability trigger is now extended because, uh, you know, currently it the ability only works when you play it on your baseline, right? And it spawns all the units on your baseline too. But here, you can actually play it in front of any of your friendly temple structures, you know, because they're releasing temple structures. And what's cool is that when you play it in front of a temple structure, it actually spawns the knight tokens on all of the temple's bordering tiles. So like a little cross pattern if there's space for it. So that, that's how it works. It's still the same stats, still the same mana, but now you can actually play it like up on the board <laughs> instead of just the baseline. You know, the biggest weakness that Temple Guardians had was how slow it was and how easy it was to block. But uh, this one, you got more places to actually uh, put it. So that's pretty nice. So just to be clear, it will spawn forward of the Temple Guardian that you play and then to the left and right of it, correct? No. You have to play it in front of a temple structure. On the tile in front of the temple. Not anywhere, not anywhere in the column, just on specifically the tile in front. Kind of like a mech workshop. It's going to spawn. Uh, no, no, it, understood. It no, no, right I'm talking about, yes, I get that. I am talking about its spawns. It will spawn forward, left, and right. It can't spawn backwards because there's a temple there. It will spawn behind the temple, I believe. It says oh. all of the all of the tiles bordering the temple. It's probably like a little cross pattern with the temple as the, the middle tile, you know, with the knights surrounding it, bordering. So this this cannot spawn forward. This can't, pr this, in other words, this can't move your front forward like a doppelbox can at Correct. all. It will put a bunch of knight token, like a knight token behind the tower, which can't advance because the tower's <laughs> in the way. Well, yeah, it's kind of weird. Well, let's <laughs> let's wait a moment. We don't know what all the temples do yet. Ooh, good uh -huh, point. Because right? what if one of the newer temples that haven't been released or announced yet, what if they have some kind of synergy with having an everlasting unit on the board? Mm -hmm. Right? For so, sure. Or what if they have the ability to move units around? What if like the unit behind it gets pushed uh, to the front to your front line or something? Oh my yeah, gosh, I mean, Temple of Chaos at the start of your turn. Shuffle the board. <laughs> oh, gosh. oh my gosh. Oh no. <laughs> so um, it's interesting to point out, though, that the, the, the wording on this specifically says temple, not just any structure. So will the Temple Guardians only trigger when you're playing one of these newer towers? Correct. Ooh. That's pretty cool because now there's an actual distinction between structures. Like you got the temple structures, mm -hmm. you got the boring normie structures. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to play that frozen core? <laughs> okay. This is spicy, guys. So to go along with what I feel like is a bit of a control sort of value-oriented play with Temple Guardians... We also got a new control. Well, I guess I shouldn't call it a new control mechanic because technically, I guess I would I would have always classified confusion as a control mechanic, although just not reliable enough to really want to build a control deck around it. So, Baiku, what's going on with confused? Confused units will no longer be able to move forward. Oof. Before there was a chance of forward, left, or right. Now it's just going to go left or right. Uh, it's not going to go backward. It, it can't it. go forward. So th confused units that are next to each other will have 
a 50% chance to move into each other and attack each other. This obviously affects all of the felines with confusion. uh, And it really makes confusion, I think, a viable control mechanic because the biggest problem with it before was that you could play it and it would not work now it's going to work there's still a little little bit of randomness involved you don't know which way it's going to move sometimes you're going to really be wanting those units to move into each other but the fact that at least they are going to be stalled in the first place even if they don't kill each other is a great change Arthas, i love this i love this what do, what do you think yeah i mean i'm really proud and excited because honestly this this exact change that they're putting out right now is the single change that i've been like advocating the most about what they could do to make confusion viable it's just you know it it just really sucks when the confusion like doesn't do anything for a third of the time they just move forward like yeah they keep the confusion status effect but it's like you can never rely on it and it's like yeah i guess rng is a pretty fundamental like mechanic of confusion and they don't want to completely remove rng but this is an amazing way to completely like you know limit the rng it's reliable in the sense that you know they're not going to move forward they're going to move left or right but um there's still a little bit of rng but this is only for like the middle tiles right only the column two and column three because those actually have space left and right those the other the far edge columns the ones at the very edges those are guaranteed to move inwards. So you can actually rely on that kind of positioning for your control decks, which is really, really, really awesome. I love it so much. Yeah, there there, there was a time when when Sabaiku, and I apologize to all of our listeners, because I'm sure some of them are saying, stop talking about this other game. But there was a time when uh, Sabaiku and I got started in Hearthstone that we really enjoyed the game. And a lot of that enjoyment was because there was uh, an RNG aspect, but it was controlled in such a way that you could skillfully play it and have a good idea of what the expected outcomes would be. You were never quite sure that added interest, that added excitement, that added drama to the turns to see if you were right, but it was never out of control. And I think part of the reason why we both got sick and tired of the game was because it just turned into an RNG fiesta, where now it's just, I, I don't even... I can't begin to explain if you're not aware of the game, how crazy uh, the randomness is now. This idea of controlled chaos is such a wonderful idea. I think Sheepyard just hit this one on the head. This is perfect in terms of, yes, it's adding RNG and fun, and we don't know quite what the outcomes are going to be, but it's controlled enough that neither playing against it and seeing the outcomes will be shocking, nor will playing it be painful because you're like, I I played this thing, it confused four units and all of them moved forward anyway, right? Neither of those bad feelings will happen anymore because everybody kind of knows what's coming, but nobody's quite sure. So you got to have to wait and see, you know? Um, There is one card that I feel like maybe got a little bit of a nerf in this. Uh, Hair-raising cats was a card that you would use to kind of force the confusion, right? I confuse units, and then I play hair-raising cats, which forces a confused unit to attack a bordering friendly. So that you would almost kind of, in, in the old days, when you weren't sure where confusion was going to work or not, you kind of used hair-raising cats to force confusion to work. And now I kind of feel like maybe I don't even need it anymore because... Confusion's going to kind of do its thing every time. Arthas, what do you think? Uh, I would definitely say it's just 
different? Because I know you're saying, yeah, it's forcing confusion, but there are like two subgroups of confusion here. One is, you know, it moves to an empty space or it attacks a unit. Hair raising forces the attacks a unit version of confusion, you know, whereas um, the raw confusion itself, it can still walk into an empty tile, you know, still stall. Hair raising cannot do that, but hair raising gives you value, not just stall. You know, so and yeah, again, with confu- with the new confusion, how cards can't move forward, they still cannot move backwards. So hair raising, you know, still allows you to do something like base damage or completely moving a unit backwards against another enemy unit, which the regular confusion won't do. And another thing I'm thinking is if the confusion is constantly stalling a unit, if you have a full confusion deck and you can keep confusing units on the enemy baseline, you can keep stalling the enemy units there until you get hair raising for the baseline damage. That's a really good point. Hair raising cats are all about that base. Not well, here's a thought. Here, here's a thought, Savaiku. We we both love playing hysteria, and while hair raising cats is kind of like hysteria, but it requires a proc. If you're playing a, a a very heavy confusion deck, isn't hair raising at that point just kind of hysteria with a body? Basically, we'd play that, right? Absolutely. To Arthas's point, especially because you can confuse units on the baseline and just kind of let them go back and forth, but hang out down there until you get hair raising cats or until you get hysteria. Like you can really just be sending your opponent's own units into their base on a regular basis. Also, like with, you know, comparing to unhealthy hysteria, because both of them are the same mana, right? Both of them doing similar stuff. But hair raising has no strength cap. You know, they can they can confuse and force no matter how big the unit is, which hysteria, you know, cannot. So there there is the added body, but there's also the position condition. But this is it's still pretty good. I wouldn't say it's a nerf. It's just, yeah, definitely different. So, so just to remind listeners who may not have played with confusion much confusion um doesn't wear off correct unless you play like temple of focus currently confusion does not wear off if the unit moves forward but as soon as you know they get stalled it goes away so now because they never go forward the confusion only lasts on the turn that you've affected them with so it's like it's like freezing then it, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a one turn it's a one turn stall then very cool Guys, with all of that, we also got a new card. Speaking of temples, uh, we have our second temple card now to go with Temple of Focus. This is the Temple of Heart. I'll give you guys the strength uh, starting at level one, going through level five. It goes two, three, four, five, six. So a nice straight linear. There's no knee in it. At the start of your turn, remove, and then again by levels, one, 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 two, two, strength from the stronger base and give it to the weaker one. <laughs> this for three mana, and it is a neutral common, uh, which means, Sabaika, we have our first piece of neutral healing. Neutral healing is such a big deal. Previously, only Winter Pact had access to healing, and that really gave Winter such an edge on being the main deck that you wanted to play for control. People play Ironclad Control with True Shot and Mia and just kind of control the board and try to snowball big units. People play Swarm Control and try to do chip damage with Pillars of Doom or Vindicators. This lets something like the Swarm Control be more effective because now 
If you take early damage but stabilize against a rush deck, you can just drop this down for three mana, let it tick a little bit here, a little bit there, and all of a sudden you get back four or six strength and you're out of range of something like overchargers or your the opponent's vindicators. Uh, that makes such a big deal. You know, it really lets you just, just heal back up after you stabilize the board. It, it's impossible to understate how important that is for a control deck and how much harder that makes it for a rush deck. So this card, this this structure is really going to heal you twice. It'll heal you if it ticks at the start of your next turn, but it'll also heal you when your opponent puts two, three, four, five, six strength into it in order to clear it because it's not something that they can leave up if they're trying to be the aggressor. That's six damage that's not going into your base or pressuring you on your baseline. It's going toward board control, which a lot of rush decks just don't want to deal with. Arthas, is this changing the calculus at all on Broken Truce? Like, does this make, as a control deck, does this make you want to play Broken Truce more? Oh, uh, you know, as much as I love Broken Truce and its design and its flexibility, it just really sucks that you can only play it one or two times a match because... Any more than that is very detrimental to your game. You know, Swarm having zero access to healing. But now with this amazing Temple of Heart, not only does Swarm get healing now, but Swarm is the, the only faction that can hurt its own base intentionally with cards like Broken Truce or Restless Goats. So, you know, those those two cards, you know, they have those like um, self-harm base damage as a, like a drawback. But this actually synergizes perfectly into this cheap structure because, um, you know, if you damage your own base, you become the the player with the weaker base HP, and then you end up stealing from them. So hurting yourself, just Uno reverse card. <laughs> exactly. <them> instead. <laughs> I didn't want to be the first one to bring it up, but going back to another game, Freeloader. In Hearthstone, which class took the most advantage of neutral healing? Neutral healing was usually a, a, a warlock because it liked damaging itself so much, uh, it found the healing so helpful. Because warlock took damage from its hero power and from a lot of the cards. Mm -hmm. as, as a detriment, you got to play something stronger than average for the mana cost, but you took base health. In lieu of additional mana, right? It costs less mana because it costs some life. That was the trade-off. And that's exactly what we see here with Swarm, with Restless Goat, with Broken Truce. You're paying some life uh, in order to get a stronger effect for that mana cost. Now now that you have some healing, paying life is just not as much of a detriment. And that really allows those cards to be, to your point, Arthas, just abused. Yeah, I mean, uh, using reckless, uh, using Restless Goats as a, a trading unit because you want to keep your base health lower than your opponents so that the tower continues to work is an interesting trade-off that like I hadn't thought about until we just mentioned it, and now I can't stop laughing. <laughs> now it's like, you know, Broken Truce being an amazing board clear card is also a chip card now. <laughs> it is! What is that? It's it's exactly. Am I wrong 
that 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 even at level five, restless goats only deal two to your base. So this, the, if you get this up to at least level four, this tower, if the temple's up at level four or five, it will heal you one hundred percent from a restless goats usage. That's yeah, so correct. It's like if you run a restless goats into the enemy base, it's like you dealt two extra damage to them. It is. It's literally <laughs> for like no cost. <laughs> Let's let's not let's not make it elo. We're I feel like I don't want to mislead our audience into thinking this is like incredibly broken or something because no. this can totally backfire on you. You know, if you're a control deck. You know, it's easy for you to do chip damage depending on your deck, and uh, if you're doing a lot of chip damage and you're playing this Temple of Heart, um, your opponent's gonna have you know a weaker base than you, and the opponent's gonna be taking your HP instead. So you got to be careful with this card, but this makes it really, really cool to interact with because even the enemy can use it, you know, to their advantage if they play it right. You're right. It's it's definitely a card that's going to reward strategy and proper usage, and it's going to be very situational, but when it works, it's going to be really, really effective. It's worth noting that Broken Truce can kill your own tower because it might need to. <laughs> 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 just take the take the one-time damage instead of the <laughs> constant damage <laughs> <laughs> so i look at this and i i think the intended effect to me is really as a counter to chip decks um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, harry chestnuts booming professors uh Ubas. you want to be able to take some of that chip damage, they're investing in a little bit of damage now, so it pays off down the road when you're easier to kill. And this is just a little bit of counterplay to that for factions that didn't have any counterplay. Winter was the only one that did. That That's where I think the primary intent is, but mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited to see what Arthas comes up with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but I think, I think Sabaiko, you are absolutely right. There there are times, so I've been playing a lot of a Shadowfen control deck lately, and there are times where I'll be playing against a uh, like an Ironclad opponent. And he gets me down to three life. And I know that the game's over at this point. Like, even if I've now finally turned the corner and I've I've gained control of the board and I'm never going to relinquish it, right? I've, I've managed to stabilize. I stabilized at three, which means the next time he cycles around to overchargers, the game's over. I, I just can't deal enough damage fast enough. And so something like this might change that calculus where I can just play it that might be good enough that i mean I, I i don't know i'm not as of yet convinced to arthas's point i don't think this is a broken card i don't even know that this is necessarily yet a good card i will say that i think at three mana it's well well positioned to be a useful card in the right deck it's nice to know that this probably won't be an auto include because it does have a downside it has to work in the right deck and match up right because um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you gotta be careful what kind of deck you're using this with, and also using this against, right? Another thing that I really love about this is because you know, with with the way matchmaking works right now, sometimes uh, the really skilled players or uh, typically rush players, um, they face against opponents with higher base HP than them, and this already puts this single structure already puts them on a little bit of an advantage because you can straight up drain from the enemy like that. And uh, it's really funny because I know you guys were giving some examples where it would help you stabilize against Rush. 
because rush tends to deal incredibly early base damage to you and uh, this helps you stabilize in the later turns but it's also funny because uh, rush players typically you know have less base hp than the people in their league so this also actually really helps rush they can play it you know as they're as they're fighting or if they're like losing and this totally helps them out too it's three mana it's cheap you can fit it in a rush deck <laughs> it's amazing a lot of rush decks are going to have trouble just dropping this on the board and sacrificing the tempo but you could definitely just like you said it's three hp you can definitely just drop it up near the opponent's baseline and be like either this is sitting here and holding my front and also potentially draining your health or you have to put six strength into clearing it and that's perfectly reasonable too like either way the rush player wins do they because because at some point it starts healing the control player normally <laughs> no, normally in a rush v control game there's early damage It'll heal. It'll heal the control player yes. maybe by two strength a turn. <laughs> I suspect that the control player isn't lasting that long if they're letting their opponent have a temple just sitting around at their baseline. You can't give a rush player front like that. Yeah, but I I, I just love the kind of depth in decision making that you know both sides can do now because this is a double edged blade, right? It's it's just awesome. <laughs> and like you said, Arthas, I love that it's three mana and that Temple of Focus is three mana. If Sheepyard comes in with a bunch of six, seven mana towers, nobody's going to play them. These are three mana. You can fit them into a variety of decks and you can experiment with them. Oh yeah, and to remind the people, this this Temple of Heart, it's a common. This yeah. is pretty like easy to level up. <laughs> this could totally help people out against, uh, you know, people with... You know, much higher HP, much higher level cards. This can totally help you out. Yeah, especially you base health 16s who hate running into those 20s. You drop this on turn one. Now you're both base health 18. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, moving on from there, I just want to give a quick shout out and and, and say that those two things, the, the, um, the new uh, Temple Guardians change and this Temple of Heart, I, I, I want to say to our listeners out there, there's a deck to be had with Temple Guardians and Temple of Heart. Let's let's see somebody put that together. Uh, I would love to see some deck submissions coming this week. Um, the next uh, thing we're going to talk about tonight, guys, is our card of the week. Uh, and per Arthas's request this week, we are talking about Trekking Alderman. And for those of you who don't know, Trekking Alderman is a card in Stormbound. <laughs> it costs three mana. It's an Elder, actually. Its strength, starting at level one, going through five, is three four four five six it doesn't have any movement um but it has a wonderful after taking damage effect like all elders uh and that is that it deals two two three three and then finally four damage spread randomly among all enemy units on the board once it's taken its damage guys um well arthas you wanted this talk to me about it why on earth did you want it so this one is really cool um, because it's three mana, right? It's got zero movement with how little strength it is, like three until six. Uh, it's nice that the ability it has gives it some relatively good value for its mana cost. Like, for example, at level five, um, six strength and the, the ability is four damage spread randomly. So that gives you a total of 10 strength value for just three mana. Albeit this thing doesn't move, and there is a condition, but you can totally trigger this multiple times. Like, for example, if you're going against like um, a Toad spam deck, right? 
you can keep running into a toad and it will keep clearing toads on the board. Or, you know, if there's only one enemy unit on the board, it will just deal four damage to that enemy unit. It's pretty nice. Now, remind me, uh, how would this work if an Azure Hatcher were parked in front of it? Oh, right. Azure Hatcher attacks in. The on-death effect from the Hatcher would spring first? Uh, it would actually be the Elder first. because The Elder would go first. Okay, the so there's no chance units, to clear the toads. Yeah, the defending units trigger their abilities before the attacking units. So the Alderman will finish its ability before the Azur can trigger theirs. So, you know, it would still attack whatever else is on the board other than yep. az the Azur. But yeah, it wouldn't clear the toads like that. <laughs> yeah, in general, it if you look at and compare this to something like Fell Flares, right? The max level Fell Flares is two strength and does six damage, right? Yep. So th this is more. They both have no movement. This has a stronger body, but it just needs to survive the damage in order for it to be effective. But it, it has more net strength than Fell Flares, although it does less damage, but it can spread that damage out among multiple bodies. It seems like an advantage. Why don't people play this, but they do play Fell Flares? So I have a I have like a theory about why people don't play this. For one, pretty sure people started playing this, especially when the elders were newly released, right? You know, everything's shiny and new. But um because of the trekking alderman's ability to just hit random enemy units, um there are there are quite a few times where you don't want to accidentally trigger your enemy's elders. You know <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be triggering yep. their booming. You don't want to be triggering their Earth Fathers. <laughs> this is this is what makes this card a little bit scary in terms of like using it. At least back when Elders are very, very popular. They're still relatively popular now, but just not as much. And I guess the other reason, I guess the biggest reason actually why this isn't seeing that much play despite its raw value is the RNG. Like you can't really rely what damage it's uh what kind of enemy unit it's gonna be attacking how it's gonna be spreading its damage it's kind of like you just hope you know right <laughs> you're just going for the raw value <laughs> whereas with fell flares you can put you can clear other units and position it in such a way so that it hits exactly what you want it to hit which there's definitely something to be said for a control card doing exactly what you want it to do you know we've talked about that in the past uh we talked about that this episode with confusion yeah, and Fell Flares is a, is a perfect example of controlled chaos, right? I can adjust where I play it such that I get the exact outcome I'm looking for most of the time. Um, I've been playing a lot of Control Shadowfen, as I mentioned before, uh, this month. And, and one of the cards that I was really trying to make work was Toad. Unfortunately, my Toad is, uh, what is it, level 3? Because it's 5 health, or is that level 4? That's it's got to be level, level three. Yeah. three. So it's five health. And the problem with being five health is that, um, especially when you're playing in diamond, that's a max level recruits. That's a max level proto. That's a max level lots of stuff. I have a problem when I try to play something that uh, has a wonderful effect when it survives damage. Uh, because at five health, it ain't surviving enough damage. Uh, there were just too few use cases that I would stumble into where Toad would give me value. Uh, tricking Alderman's got the same problem. There are so many times where I will play Fell Flares. If it was a Toad, my Toad would have just died, <laughs> right? It would have just been a clean trade. Uh, the same problem here with Trekking Alderman. Unless you have Trekking Alderman all the way up at level five, it can't beat a Gifted Recruits. And if it can't beat a Gifted Recruits, 
I don't know what situation you're sticking it in front of something where the outcome of the game is actually going to be impacted by playing it. Yeah, that that definitely makes it a bit weird. You know, for for typically the the cheaper elders, you know, like Trekking Alderman and Greenwood Ancients, you know, with the whole fundamental mechanic that elders have to survive damage in the first place, um, these cheap elders also tend to have, you know, relatively weak strength. So you're only going to find, you know, a handful of cases where it actually survives damage. So it makes it a little bit more, you know, complicated to use, despite it being cheap. So it's a bit interesting compared to like the other elders like Nuts or Bucks or like Booming. Like they have really big bodies. They'll almost always survive something, right? Exactly. Right, right. Like like on five mana, being able to play Trekking Alderman into Hunter's Vengeance sounds like a fantastic play until you realize you just killed your Trekking Alderman. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there were some people out there who had like a really high level booming and they purposefully kept their hunters at level one so they would use the hunters to trigger their booming for free and with like oh no gosh. damage. <laughs> it's such a cheese strat. <laughs> Just play Destructo bots. What's the hard part of this? <laughs> but then the RNG. <laughs> next, next question. My last question here. Mm-hmm. When your opponent has a trekking alderman or two on the board, and you put down a trekking alderman mm. on the board, what the oh, heck is going to happen? <laughs> okay, can I can I talk about a little uh, anecdote here? Well, not really an anecdote, but I know some people in the community did something called uh, it was something like Stormbound Infinite, something along those lines, where they filled the board with everything is just trekking alderman on both sides. And like a couple Bragdas on both sides. Oh no. And they just triggered, they just played Bladestorm to trigger all the trekking aldermen at once. All of them just pew, 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 pewing everything, <laughs> you know? And then it's just like they just keep shooting and shooting, and Bragda keeps healing and healing. And you just see the turn timer go on and off, on and off, on and off. <laughs> it went for like a total of like, I don't remember if it was five, six, or seven turns where it was just pure animation and chaos before the whole interaction stopped. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Breaking Stormbound. It's such an insane. I want to see that video now. Somebody's got to okay, go find it. I'm pretty it. sure you can look for it. It has the word infinite in it. So uh, I think it was infinite version two, something like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Should be on YouTube, I think. That is awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that ends the main portion of the episode, which means it's time for me to remind you to please follow us on Twitter at BroodSages, or you can email us at thebroodsages at gmail.com. This week, we actually did hear from Debnath, and he says, Oh, you guys mentioned me. I say, in behalf of the community, and also would like to use this comment to thank Blaine for starting the Brazilian Stormbound community one year ago. We are all happy for the recognition you guys give us, and I'll update on Reddit about the tournament as soon as it starts. Subscriptions will end January 21st. The tournament itself is expected to end in mid-February. Once again, thank you guys. This community is hella kind for all of us. About Temple of Focus, though, Swarm wasn't fast enough? Huh? Lol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it turns out that uh, things like LOL, uh, when you read them out loud, I'm not quite sure how to do it appropriately. Um, but being the boomer I am, I'm just going to sound it out. I, I love how you just went like, lol. lol. Like, like very uh, <laughs> condescending. <laughs> I will say, uh, if you check out the Stormbound subreddit, um, Debnath has been posting videos from the tournament. Uh, it's always great to watch. Mm. Always. I, 
I can't wait. I you can almost feel like within the next year there's going to be like a a a, a, a like an actual tournament scene of just like tournament level players who are like hardcore competitors in 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 playing for real stuff. I I'm so excited about where the where the the competitive scene of Stormbound is headed right now. So imagine Stormbound All Stars, right? <laughs> I know. All right, guys, um, please, if you uh, are looking for us, please uh, reach out to us. You can always catch us on Discord, by the way. Um, but I think that's going to do it for tonight's episode. For Arthas and Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.